You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Locked On Suns, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, I'm joined by Brennan Clean. As always, we're both writers for Bright Side of the Sun. And we're here today recapping the Phoenix Suns uh, win over the Chicago Bulls on Sunday night, 113-105. to 105. And really, it was probably really the best all-around game we saw from the Suns as a group so far. Don't you agree, Brennan? It was definitely better than I was expecting. I mentioned on Saturday night when we recorded that I was pretty confident that the Suns had a talent advantage, but they had an advantage in just about every category. It wasn't just a matter of a more talented team outplaying a less talented team. They were executing when they needed to, and and they were showing me stuff that I hadn't seen before. So, yeah, very impressive overall. Yeah, overall, like you said, I think without Larry Markkinen for the Bulls, who had 26 points, 13 rebounds on 10, 19 shooting, without Larry Markkinen yesterday, I don't think the Bulls even crossed 80 points. So I think without Markkinen, it would have been a blowout win for the Suns. But overall, there's a lot of positive takeaways to take away for the Phoenix Suns in this game. We saw T.J. Warren put up really one of the most quiet 27-point games I've witnessed in a while in person. He had a plus 12 on 13 of 20 shooting. He had nine points in the fourth quarter put the game away for the Suns. And we also saw Devin Booker. He had 15 points on six assists. Probably his most quiet game. But even even then, without Booker going, we saw the likes of Greg Monroe, Troy Daniels, Mike James, Alex Lynn all step up when they needed to. So is this and 50, total, 50 total bench points as well. So what was your overreaction from the bench overall from last night? Because for me, that was the biggest takeaway. Yeah, it was Mike James for sure. Um, I was with him and... He looks to be getting more comfortable with the bench role. I don't know if it did great things for him to have such a back-and-forth start to his career. He obviously was not really in the rotation for those first three games under Watson. Then when, when Bledsoe gets dismissed, he jumps surprisingly into the starting lineup and then back to the bench bench where he's playing quite a bit. So he actually played more than Tyler Ulis last night or – um, yeah, more than Tyler Ulyss, 26 minutes compared to Ulyss's 20. Um, he was a plus three, scored 15 points of his own on 50% shooting, um, led the team, led the bench in assists with five. So he was really impressive. Uh, he found ways to go even without the three-point shot falling. He was 0-4 from behind the arc, but really was puncturing the defense and uh, looking for the pass a lot of the time. And uh, it was really just poor Bulls rim protection that allowed him to get those 15 points because watching it, I really felt like he was uh, looking for shooters once he got down there. Um, of no one being there to protect the rim once he, he found openings and he, he was uh, a really effective finisher. So it was Mike James for sure. Is that is that yours? Yeah, from my side of, of the vantage point, I'd probably say Mike James alongside Troy Daniels. They can buy for... 29 total points. Troy Daniels, I think, put up around 12 points in his first four or five minutes in that game last night. So I think he's starting to get to the point, Troy Daniels. We saw it in Houston. We saw it in Memphis. When he catches fire and he gets consistent, you really can't take him off the court uh, off the court that much, even with his liability on defense, because we saw it last night. Jay Triano, the interim head coach of the Phoenix Suns, he actually had a closing lineup of Booker at point guard with Troy Daniels, TJ Warren, Josh Jackson, and Alex Lynn. So was that your takeaway from that for the closing line? I think that was really interesting for me was seeing Daniels out there in the final two or three minutes with Booker and also Josh Jackson, TJ Warren, because I think Troy Daniels is really starting to up his game in the last five or so. 
Yeah, I mean, I, it worries me that it might. He is so streaky from in the past that maybe this will be his, a really hot streak, and then we'll see it go back down later in the season. And I worry about what the Suns' offense will look like when he's not shooting the lights out like he has been. But overall, the past few games, it's definitely, definitely been um, a plus for them, especially like we talked about in the last episode. When Booker does have the ball in his hands, to have somebody like Daniels as an outlet when the shot clock gets down or just when the defense starts to collapse inward on him, um, Daniels has made shots that are incredibly difficult. Um, he shoots over guys. He shoots, you know, on in less than perfect uh, position off, you know, one foot a lot of the time from the corner. Dragon Bender um, in the fourth quarter, I believe, of last night's game. Um, really off the target, but he caught it right in the corner and uh, nailed a three to kind of start the Suns run that would eventually kind of seal the game for them. might have been the third quarter, actually. And it was shots like that that have been really impressive and really helpful because, you know, the Suns aren't necessarily a team full of shot creators. So to have somebody like him that they can fall back on has been very valuable. As far as the spacing goes with the Suns lineup, we know outside of really Troy Daniels and Jared Dudley is out right now, but he's supposed to be back next week returning from his knee injury. Should we see Troy Daniels at least get, we've seen him get about 18 to 20 minutes a game in the last three or so games. Do you think those minutes should go up more? Because I feel like his spacing really... I like where he is right now. I think that he, obviously a very limit, uh, he has a limit on his value. That's true, yeah. Um, if he's getting up to like 30 minutes, maybe that defense a little bit more I think when he's at 15 to 20 and he's playing mostly against backups or in spots where it's advantageous to have him out there it's good other than that I I would start to worry about the limitations a little bit more when his minutes get extended yeah I would say that because like we've seen so far his defense when he's actually trying it's one of the worst on the sun so having him out there with Booker on the defensive end would be a a very very negative net negative so to say but (laughs) With that being said, I wanted to touch on Greg Monroe real quick. He was, he, I think it's his third game so far in the Suns uniform, third or fourth game. And what's your overall impressions of Greg Monroe so far? We saw last night he put up 10 points, six rebounds, four assists. And I think those four assists came in the first like seven or so minutes of the game because he was the trailer on the offense. And then when the Suns couldn't find that guy to get open, Monroe was the one jogging down and he found the extra guy while he was going toward the rim. So do you feel like Monroe has be- become – the third choice, the third option on offense, being really the third best player for the Suns right now. And it's really opened up a lot for really Warren and Booker, right? I think so. I think he's been a, a nice presence down low because Alex Lynn's not that type of post scorer necessarily. He's a good finisher when he gets the ball super close to the rim. He's obviously been really good uh, as a rebounder this year and as a rim protector the past couple games I've been impressed. But, no, you can't really toss it to him down low and, and kind of have him pick apart a defense like that. And Monroe's been valuable in that way because, um, yeah, Booker can't do everything. We've been talking about that for a while now. And Warren can't, especially can't, because he's not on that level as a not on that level as a shooter. So to have that third guy who is so multi-talented like Monroe, who can pass, can kind of, you know, have some touch down there, um, that's been nice. And he hasn't been terrible on defense. And so he's uh, at least providing enough on that end where 
he can earn 20, 25 minutes a game and you don't feel too too bad about it at all. I know it's a super small sample size to bring up right now. and It's only about three or four games with Monroe as a starter and in a Suns uniform. But do you feel like Greg Monroe has really earned himself a spot with the Suns as far as the rest of the season goes? Or do you think McDonough still wants to possibly trade Monroe around the trade deadline or December, build that value while you can, and try to get maybe Alex Lane as a starter past the trade deadline? Or what What do you see with the center position? Because overall, with Tyson Chandler coming back on Wednesday against Milwaukee, he's, they're going to be playing three centers that should be getting – 20 plus minutes a game usually so I think Trion's going to work around that and also seeing seeing Monroe's uh really his overall fit with the roster moving forward yeah I still think I I land in sort of the same spot even despite Monroe playing so well and that I think he's still not going to be a son past the trade deadline in February um and I still you know definitely don't think that he'll be a son next season but as far as the rest of this year goes, I would imagine that he probably should have a spot in the rotation above Chandler. Uh, we've seen been shut down Chandler before. We know that he's not necessarily um, a priority in terms of minutes goes. And he has expressed all year, all through the summer, that it didn't necessarily necessarily his favorite thing to do in the moment last year when the team asked him to to sit down those last dozen or so games but I think he understands why that's valuable and and sort of what his role is more as a mentor on this team um so I wouldn't be surprised if when those three guys are all healthy that Chandler not that he maybe wouldn't be playing like at the end of last year but at the very least that he might not um be playing more than Monroe and probably shouldn't be. I think based on what we've seen from Monroe, that's a more valuable player than Chandler anyway. Another quick hypothetical I wanted to bring up to you, Brendan, was with the center position with Tyson Chandler and Greg Monroe. Both guys are likely to be gone off this roster by next season, I imagine. Chandler still has two years on his contract, but I can't see how he makes it on the roster next season with how they want to have more flexibility on the books and also Jared Dudley's contracts up in 2019. So they're going to be getting a lot of flexibility in the next two summers. But do you believe that right now that Tyson Chandler is more of a piece that should be moved quicker than Greg Monroe or do you believe that Monroe carries more value still and that he's more likely to be traded quicker at this point because I feel like both really won't be on the roster past February but it's still to be seen I would say it's probably more likely that Monroe goes first because of what I just said which is that I really do think he has more value at this point on the court and the fact that he's an expiring contract, I still struggle to find a team that would be really excited about getting Tyson Chandler um, because of his hefty, hefty contract and the fact that it doesn't end this summer. I think if it did, they probably could find some sort of deal to some team that values him in a similar way that the Suns do, but maybe a team that's a little bit more competitive that would benefit more from what he's doing on the court rather than just off it, like the Suns seem to to have as a priority. So I would say Monroe could really help a team. I think if somebody needs bench scoring and, and especially needs paint scoring and has a hole in their center rotation, I could definitely see it. Um, I don't know who that team is. I haven't really spent too much time thinking about that, but I think it's pretty clear at this point that Monroe is a far better player. For sure, yeah. I think right now, I think Chandler's around like 37, 38 years old, and you can you kind of saw in the first three games, even in preseason, that he's really lost a step as far as 
his lateral quickness goes. And really, as we all as we all know, at Chenner for the past five years, so he doesn't have anything outside of his dunking and his lobs. So really, he is sort of a liability if you want spacing on the court. And Moreau sort of provides that compared to him. But let me touch on real quick the forwards that we saw last night with T.J. Warren and Josh Jackson. Warren had 33 minutes, 27 points. Like I said earlier, really quiet, 27 points. So is T.J. Warren really starting to find his niche here, Brendan? Yeah, I think that I. So I talked about it maybe the end one of the shows at the end of last week about how Booker's been scoring incredibly well um, when his traditional instinctive stuff isn't working. So obviously he's a shooter and whatever, and, and he's been finding ways to affect the game in transition. And I think I overlooked that Warren's kind of doing the same thing. Obviously his his uh, plan A isn't the same as Booker's. He's more of a mid range floater type of guy, and and he's doing that too, but. Um, I think just in general, the Suns have really impressed me the past few games uh, sharing the ball. I think it was 28 assists in back-to-back games heading into um, the Bulls game, and then they hit 32 um, against the Bulls. So yeah, that's actually the the last time that the Suns had three plus 28 game, three straight 28 plus game assists. I think was 2013. So it's been a while with the Suns, and it's like you said, it's really good to see. But continue. It's it's benefiting a player like Warren. Um, even more than maybe anybody else. He only had one assist of his own against the Bulls, and uh, but he was finishing off plays really well. And again, I, I've i liked his offensive rebounding, his rebounding overall. He had seven last night, four of them on the offensive glass. That led the team, actually, even with Alex Len continuing to play so well. Um, so I think if he can just be kind of a cleaner cleaner upper like a you know like a really rich man's Tony Allen type of player on offense um he's so much more skilled than that but just the way that he can do a lot of that stuff in the paint and really just get in get physical with with guys and and frustrate his defender um opens up a lot for him because he's always going to have those nifty little shots that he's he's so good at Mm -hmm. but when he can find that secondary stuff and continue to impact the game when the defense keys into it or it's just not falling he's going to be able to get up above 20 every game which is what he's been doing for a week or two now now look it's a small sample size it's only 18 games but we're about the fifth of the way through the season but overall i was looking on nbastats.com TJ Warren is one of only seven forwards right now, averaging 18 points plus six rebounds per game, over 50% shooting this season. And yet, others, the only other wings that are doing are LeBron, Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Anthony Davis, Ben Simmons, and LaMarcus Aldridge. And Warren also signed a four year, $50 million extension this past summer. So, how good is that deal looking for Ryan McDonough? Because getting TJ Warren, if he continues what he's doing right now at the age of 24, averaging 18 and six with his numbers still going up with a bigger increased role. Only making twelve and a half million dollars a year—that's a bargain for McDonough, right? I think so. Um, and you assume it's still going to grow, like you said. That age is almost as important as anything else because I think he's learning his game a lot better. I think a lot of what we're talking about is just a player that knows his role and understands how to impact the game after three plus years in the league. Um, so I think you're definitely right in that he really could continue to grow and make that contract look even better and better. Um, and yeah, 18 games, but that's quite a bit to yeah, see true. him mm-hmm. be so consistent. And I'm not too worried about um, him as I was going into the year. I think he's he's really learned how to how to have an impact on offense, and he looks nice next to Devin Booker. One thing I did actually want to touch on, though, as far as uh, Warren goes, is we've talked a lot about balancing Booker's minutes and Warren's minutes. Um, but in that second quarter last night, 
the Suns have actually been I've I've liked how good they've been in second quarters. Even against the Rockets, they were only they only got outscored by three. They really respond well even after you know the Bulls scored thirty seven too in the first quarter last night. So they responded with a nice second quarter and Warren actually played a lot of those minutes with the second unit. So he went out a little bit early, maybe around the four, four and a half minute mark when Jackson came in in the first quarter and sat for the rest of the first and then came back in to start the second. And the offense sort of ran through him until Booker got back. And I like that. I think it's a nice way to balance because it's not like Warren and Booker look atrocious together, but it does maximize the amount of time that Warren can have the ball in his hands every game because he's not really going to have that opportunity when Booker's on the court. And so I thought it was a smart way that Triano's been using him just to kind of get some extra buckets and not lose any steam when the second quarter does start and have both of those guys on the bench. Yeah, that is a good point because really like we've seen when Booker and and Warren out there together, the spacing seems some a little bit stagnant out there, but when they're out there by themselves controlling their own units, it looks really good on paper and on the court as well. But Another person I wanted to bring up was Josh Jackson because he only played five minutes, obviously, because TJ Warner had the hot hand last night. But I think recently he's only played about five or eight minutes in his last, I think, three or four first halves. So is this riding TJ Warren the hot hand with Triana, or is this something to keep an eye on with Josh Jackson because he's only averaging about 20 minutes a game right now, but he only has he had 7.7 rebounds and four assists in, in those 22 minutes he played last night. So is it just rookie growing pants for Jackson? I think so. I don't know. I think he, he's been showing weird and cool stuff every game, and that's sort of what I expected out of him, at least over maybe like the first half of this year. I wasn't thinking he'd be too uh, impactful as far as like numbers and scoring numbers go, but he had a couple passes yesterday. There was one um, situation in the, I think, the second quarter, and Booker passed it to him after he kind of got swallowed up by the defense on a drive. Jackson was on the right block kind of without a plan. Um, basically just dribbled and made a move and then passed it right back out to Booker who made the shot and had a similar situation with uh, with Bender in the fourth quarter. He caught a pass under the hoop, basically just sort of like paused, surveyed the scene and then throw it, threw it to Len who was wide open after Jackson kind of just brought the defender over to him with that hesitation. So he has a feel for the game, especially with his passing that is showing up already. And to see at least something that he's going to have as an advantage over players that are in his position is been, you know, it's been positive regardless of uh, shooting and, and how he's looking as a scorer or even as a defender, because he hasn't looked tremendous as a defender either, but the passing has been awesome. No, I think when Jackson was brought in, he wasn't expected to bring on a huge role right away. We obviously didn't see the Eric Bledsoe thing coming. So he's been kind of forced into a third, fourth role kind of unexpectedly. But I think he's kind of transitioning well to it so far. He's kind of realizing his potential playmaking ability that we didn't see under Earl Watson at all. We're seeing that a lot more with Triano. And he's taking a lot more smarter shots. He's, I think he's starting to find himself a little bit more better. I think probably around December or so, I think we're going to be talking a lot different too about Josh Jackson. But we'll have to see around then. But one one real quick guy from the Chicago Bulls I want to bring up was Larry Markkinen. Again, he had 26 points in 34 minutes, a career high for Markkinen. He was a U of A product. So well, what's your impressions of Larry Markkinen? Because really, I didn't ex- I didn't think he had those moves off the dribble that he had because I think he has a very high potential as a, as a wing and a scorer for a forward in the future. Yeah, Markkinen's been he, – he has a, a much, like, smoother game than I was – would ever have expected seeing him last year. 
I think I just focused too much on how much he didn't look like a big at, at, at U of A um, and less on what he could bring, especially when he's able to play next to a guy as solid as Robin Lopez. I think that's helped him a lot. Uh, but even then, I mean, he had 13 rebounds against the Suns, and that looks a lot like a, a traditional big. So maybe I was wrong about that too. Um, I'd love to hear what you have to say about Markkanen, though, because I know you were diving into him quite a bit during the game. But actually, the guy that I was most impressed by on the Bulls is Chris Dunn, uh, who got traded there over the offseason in the Zach Levine deal, um, the Jimmy Butler deal, I guess. <laughs> bigger, bigger name there. Uh, scored 17 points, had six rebounds and six assists. And he followed up, a, I think, a 22-point game against the Hornets on Friday night, where they beat the Hornets uh, despite Kemba Walker scoring nearly 50. Um He's been incredible as an on-ball defender and as a finisher around the hoop on offense. And he's been, even relative to expectation, I think, even more impressive than Markkanen, at least from my point of view, because I think there were people who had already given up on him. He was a four-year guy at Providence and then really struggled with Minnesota last year next to Ricky Rubio, kind of trying to find a role that made sense for him on a team with less shooting. But when he goes on the court, he really just controls the game at least the past two i watched the, uh, the entire hornets game and leading up to this to the suns game and he just you can't take your eyes off of him and he's so um great on defense but seeing that offense creep up has been really cool too so i mean the suns won obviously so it kind of dampers whatever he like to say about the bulls but i think they've definitely been a surprisingly competitive team and, and we saw that again against the suns yeah, the Suns now are 7-11 on the season, which honestly is kind of surprising to me. I didn't think they would be at this point this early on, but the Bulls fought a 3-11 on the year. Now, let's get a quick little one take that we have on the upcoming game with the Milwaukee Bucks on Wednesday. Eric Bledsoe is making his return at Augusta Resort Arena. So what outside of Bledsoe, really, what's your biggest takeaway? And also Giannis, obviously, but what's those? how is Phoenix even going to handle those two guys? Because I feel like... I don't think anyone on this roster can really defend Giannis one-on-one, and really anyone in the league can defend Giannis one-on-one. No, I think you're right. No one in the league can. I think my first takeaway is that neither of us are going to be at the game, and that's pretty... Yeah, Thanksgiving plans. I know. Um, But, no, I don't think anybody can guard Giannis. I don't think anybody even looks like they can try to guard Giannis on the Suns. I think TJ Warren and Josh Jackson will obviously draw that assignment to start but I wouldn't be surprised if that's not working if Triano tried even maybe Dragon Bender kind of play off of him hang back a little bit and sort of see what he can do um, around the rim denying Giannis that's obviously his primary motive every time he gets the ball is to just dunk over people and he's been so successful doing that but I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Bender do it I guess that maybe is what I'm watching is how those matchups kind of play around. But no, I'm not not optimistic, especially with Bledsoe not having the greatest feelings about the Suns organization. I think it would not be surprising to see a revenge game there and probably not one by Greg Monroe. Yeah, I was going to ask you there. Do you think that Bledsoe is going to let it out a little bit against the Suns after what happened? Because obviously he's had his issues with McDonough at the front office and how that entire situation played out. But do you think that Bledsoe is going to really play a little angry on Wednesday? I think so. I would not be surprised if we see him be pretty aggressive, um, especially on defense, kind of just show the Suns uh, to their faces 
what they uh, what they're missing out on, and they've had a lot of success in Milwaukee since he's come in. He's he's fit pretty well there, and so yeah, I mean, not that he's like a heady guy or anything like that, but you know, it wouldn't be shocking to see a guy takes a situation like that personally, and we kind of already know he did. So no, I I, I definitely expect it. All right, before before we let you guys go, let's get a quick prediction, Brennan. Do you expect a massacre with the Bucks, or do you think it's going to be close, or a Suns win? I would say maybe like a 10, 15-point loss. I think that they just don't match up very well against this particular team. Uh, they don't have enough defense to, to control the Bucks and the length that they have and the skill that they have. So I don't think it'll be horrible because I do think that the – Booker and Warren will be able to continue to do what they've done on the offensive end. I just think they won't be able to defend the Bucks, so probably another high-scoring in the hundreds type of game, but they'll be on the losing end this time. Yeah, I was digging up some stats related to the Warren-Booker combo, and I, I found out that in wins this season that Booker and Warren combined for nearly 50 points, 49.5 in wins, but when in losses, it drops almost down to 30 points, so... That's something to keep an eye on with Warren and Booker because if they're not on their game, I think they both will have to at least score 25 points to win on Wednesday night against that good of a Bucks team. So it'll be really intriguing to watch. But I also what do think, you think? Do you think they win? Um, I think they'll, they'll keep it close. I think Warren and Booker will have those types of games, but I think Giannis and Bledsoe take that over late, like we saw. Like I'm mean, really with the elite players like Harden and Chris Paul, you saw like those guys take over immediately against the guys that Phoenix was rolling out against them. So. I think the, the elite talent's going to shine through, and I think Milwaukee pulls away late. But I think they'll keep it pretty close because I think there's going to be motivation on both sides in this game. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I'll be watching, I guess, for that Booker-Warren combo here going on. I didn't realize it was so different like that, 50-30 to 30 in wins versus losses. That's pretty shocking. But. Yeah, it's crazy. I was looking at it. Booker maintains almost. I think it's 24 in wins, 22 in losses. And then for Warren, though, it's crazy. It's like he's averaging 24-4-4 four and four in wins. But then in loss, it drops down to 15, 3, and 1. So that's really, wow. yeah, that's really interesting. But yeah, we'll, we'll leave you guys on that note, and we'll be back with you guys later this week recapping the Bucks game. But until then.